Hello and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sands. <laughs> show full of guests from all sides of the political spectrum apart from UKIP because they didn't win anything so it's our winners are grinners special and who else could we invite on for our first guest the popular choice that is Dave Ashmore Dave welcome thank you very much thank you very much for the kind words as well that's okay you can pay later absolutely <laughs> so a victory in Fratton they, they wanted you back for a second term you must yeah. be pleased of course, yeah. Ecstatic. Excellent. So the way we're going to run this, rather than us, we could have come up with some dry and dull questions, and some folk might think our questions are dull and dry. But rather than us do it in the traditional way of reading from a script, we have the, and oh no, we're going to struggle with this, the Pompey Politics Podcast Pot, Pot of Pondering, Pot of pondering, Pot of pondering yeah. which contains a, you get to select your question and then give us a smart, witty and insightful answer, although obviously if you don't do very well I'll be reasonably chuffed with that as I of course am favouring the blue side and I am outnumbered horribly by the yellows today. Mm, yeah. Um, that, yeah, but that's something you must be used to, being outnumbered <laughs> yeah. by Liberal Democrats um, in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good Lord, it's like the Anton Deck of the yellow team, right? <laughs> yeah, but neither which of one's us is, which? Yeah, <laughs> neither of us is going to get done for um, driving under the influence of alcohol. This is exceptionally true. So, grasp your pot, man, and dip your hand in. Right. I'll probably regret this in about ten seconds' time, but... No, there's, there's no... There's no, there's no there's there's, we think, we think they're, they're insightful questions. Yeah, okay. there's, there's nothing here to really catch you up. And by pot of, pot of pondering, if you've seen the photo on our Facebook page, please do like our Facebook page, by the way. It's easy to remember. It's Pompey Politics Podcast. Um, is our Facebook page. Uh, you can also email us at pompeypoliticspodcast at gmail.com. But we have our pot of pondering, which is basically a pot from my kitchen, which tells you how often I cook, um, with 14 well-researched, mm. well-honed questions. Insightful, I'd like to think. Insightful, yes. They're, yeah. they're probing, but not in a... Wrong way. No. Okay. Well, yeah. So here goes. So Dave, do you want to take your, your first question? First question. Okay. They are post-it notes, I notice. Yes. And they are stuck together, so... Yes, I'm so the, the to, question yeah. is cunningly... This is how the technology has worked. I've written the question on the inside of a post-it note and folded it over on itself. Right, the question is, what do you dislike most about local politics? Oh, I was hoping that wouldn't come out. Oh, tough one. I'm kind of an agreeable person. Uh, I suppose it's when you get, in general, I'm not accusing any particular party of any particular thing, but I think sometimes when personal attacks come to the forefront, that kind of mudsling anything, that's, that's the thing I don't like. I like it when people can work together, that kind of thing. And I think it has been a feature that, un unfortunately, in, in some of the local uh, some of the local elections, there has been the odd whiff of unpleasantness about. Yes. Yeah, indeed, there have been some some quite personal stuff, um, which is which is a shame. I think well, that's a that's a fair answer, isn't it? I think we'd all be better off if actually be focused on policies and competence rather than yeah. attacking the person. Yeah, and I think it's got better uh, in Portsmouth anyway. 
Which is good news. Good news. Question two. I did just hear someone's phone vibrating. I don't know whether whether someone was panicking that you know, what the answer was going to be, whether that was Gerald was calling you. I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, let's have a look at this one. Oh, sorry. Tasty morsel. Question nine. <laughs> yeah, they are a bugger to open. Sorry about that. Well, you've well and truly sealed it. This is just. This is this, this is what proper podcast is about. The sound of a man trying to unpeel <laughs> a, 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 a post-it note, a, a spitefully folded post-it note. This yeah, is, this is going to get the ratings through the sky. There we go. Exactly. This is what the podcast was made for. All right. Question: Which is the biggest challenge facing Portsmouth in the next eighteen months? Ah, oh, that's one's a good question. That is a fantastic. Who wrote that question? I, I think that might have been you. Oh, excellent. <laughs> well, there we go. We'll, we'll, we'll give Dave a little thinking time. Well, over the next, I mean, 18 months is a long time. We're going to have another election before that's done as well. So, you know, putting my mystic Meg hat on, I don't know. It could be completely different back then. But I think the biggest challenge, I think, is going to be some stability to make sure everyone's you know we've got some stability some focus on where we're going mm. is that the sound of the man reaching his hand out towards <laughs> the dark <laughs> and evil red side going don't do anything hideous oh that's uh, very <laughs> that's not the words I would have used no no, no, but, no. Um, very few no, people use I, the words I, that I, I use I, I, this much is true yeah. I just think it's Mr. B it's stability it's just people People like to know where they're going. I think that's fair, but seeing as I, I, I supplementary to the question, so mm -hmm. so let us presume, and even I, the blind optimist amongst this table, presume that it will be well. It'll either be a yellow or a rainbow arrangement returned. Mm -hmm. But if it is yellow, as we as we predicted, I think last time, then what do you think is the is the area that your inbox is going to be clogged with by the Portsmouth residents saying? Dave, Dave, you're a lovely man, but I need you to sort this out. Well, being as the last year I've been doing environment and community safety, a lot of it has been about community safety, like antisocial behaviour. That's usually what my inbox is full up with, or things about bins, which is obviously the bread and butter of local politics. Yeah. That's what mainly it fills up with. Um, so I'm rubbish. Well... <laughs> I'm saying I'm used to speaking uh, rubbish. Uh, I don't know. Do you, do you mean me on a personal basis? What's going to yeah, be a struggle? Yeah, because it's, the floor is yours. We've you've got to differentiate between your ward work and your cabinet role, haven't you? So what about the people of Fratton? What's, what's exciting them at the moment? Obviously, apart from the football. Well, obviously, yes. We're all back in the blues. Tomorrow. Oh, stop it. We'll alienate the listeners. <laughs> okay. Alienate so the not, listener. It's Portsmouth politics. Obviously, we're back in Portsmouth. Um, yes, yeah, so like I say, it's a really interesting one. You don't know what's going to happen in 18 months. But what people do, like I say, the bread and butter of being a local councillor is when people come to you and, you know, ask you for... It, what what really you can't get out there uh, and promote in your leaflets and your literature when we're all saying how wonderful we are, everyone does it. But you can't always get, you know, uh, the couple that you've seen because they're 
you know struggling to get on a housing list or you can't you know someone who's you, you got a disability and they want their blue badge and they seem to be going through bureaucracy getting it or you know someone tr having trouble with council tax those are the things that you deal with more than anything else so it's those personal connections that, that yeah. obviously you you can't put into a you yeah. know, a soundbite or a leaflet but that's that's probably where the bulk of your graft is, yeah. is done i'd say that and i'd say that's the same with all the other councils as well it'll be that individual casework beautiful grasp the pot simon the pot is coming my way again is that a sound effect what me shaking there we, we, we no expense we, spared yeah we, we've spent no expense on that's on been, been on our foley there has been no expense spent at all at all no mm-hmm Okay, the question this time. I opened it a lot quicker now. I'm getting used to this. If you could guarantee success for one big green initiative for Portsmouth, what would it be? Oh, and there are so one. many. Yes. Now, did you chaps? I, I did consider the, the Lib Dems have always had a pretty strong green agenda, so this is playing to your strengths. And it's, it's, someone's vibrating again. <laughs> I think it's my phone, uh, which, which happens quite a lot. That's yeah. another thing that happens if you're a local councillor to expect that a lot. Um, big green initiative. Obviously, we have been pushing green things like the planting of more trees and requesting funding from the government for things. Uh, but I think what I'd like to see, especially as we declared the climate emergency, and especially as air quality has been in the news, I'd like to see us uh, be able to secure the funding from the government and be able to actually start putting... Uh, proper what do you call it like an, proper infrastructure in for cycling and walking to make that more accessible to people and to help prioritize it so it's more linked up more joined up rather than bits here and there which is all what we can do with uh, you know the funding that we have at the moment okay should we do a fourth one well, I think we can do and a why fourth not one. I, I think there's worthy of discussion on that mm. you know and it's a fascinating I, I grew up across the water in gospel and uh -huh. since I moved to Portsmouth, it struck me as, in terms of that congestion, how similar it's become over the last 10 years, which is, you know, you sit in a traffic jam coming in and out. So I think, you know, if we could get more cycleways, mm -hmm. more walking spaces, and I'm not a fan of public transport, but if we somehow managed to make a decent one there. But if we could make it more attractive, though, if we could solve those issues, then it would become... Uh, well, they, all those trams that we had at the beginning of the 20th century, we could, we're probably wishing we had now. Oh, yeah. I think the other thing that we have to be, you know, we have to be really straight about is that, you know, if we had a much better public transport system and infrastructure, then Simon might not have been half an hour late to the recording of this podcast. Well, yes. Well, well I had to okay. think as well. But I, well, was a little bit I, just there, wasn't it? Yeah, well, that, well he, he, he he's a busy man. He yeah. doesn't put his punches. He's um, a busy man. I, I was busy live deming, but no, I apologise for being so late. Um, and um, yes, it's it's really embarrassing. But you know, on in my defence, I was born six weeks early, and I've been late to pretty much everything else since. Marvelous. And we're running on what we call live dem time. So yeah. Okay. Here we go. I'd like to give a you know a proper a proper shake for the for the yeah, benefit of the. For the grand finale. Here we go. 
Okay. Who is your favourite Spice Girl? Well, this one could be <laughs> Mel C or is it? Like, I'm only joking. I, 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 <laughs> that's a that's a that's a nice divert because I don't remember either of us writing those. But I'm, I'm also actually surprised at this point you've been able to read my writing without actually kind of without too much hard work. But let's let's hear the actual uh, question. You haven't seen my writing. I've learnt. Uh, what do you think makes Portsmouth a great city? Without a shadow of a doubt, it's the people who make this a great city. Absolutely, the people, the communities, the fact that we it, we can all get together behind the football team, the fact we've all got different opinions on the same things, the fact that uh, even on the, uh, the Portsmouth Politics uh, Facebook page, you know, people don't pull their punches. If they've got a complaint about something, they'll tag me in it and say they sort this out or whatever. And we can have discussions about it. And it, it, it really is the people of Portsmouth, whether they you know, young, old, whatever demographic it is, they've all got something to say, all got something to contribute. And I, I love that. Uh, I think it's fascinating that when we look at the political landscape, and again, you know, when we've done a lot of analysis on it, there are different wards within the, you know, which have very different political leanings. Mm -hmm. But that passion for Portsmouth come, yeah. comes through in, yeah. you know, in, in different ways. But, you know, I think it is, I guess that's a, that's a positive way to end this to say that there, there is much more that unites us than divides than us. Divides us yeah. Well, thank you very much, Dave. That's all right, and thank you for inviting me to Cosham. It's not very often I get to go outside of Portsmouth these days. I know, yeah. you didn't need a passport. Absolutely. That thing in that thing in the sky, Dave, that's the sun. You won't usually see that through the smog, but yeah, enjoy it while you can, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, and it's congratulations. Oh, thank you, it's been a pleasure. It's time to present our second guest. Yes, and I, I went turned against him in terms of predicting a UKIP win in the world of Charles Dickens, but uh, we are delighted to have Cal Corkery representing the Labour Party with us. Congratulations, Cal, on your win in Charles Dickens. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. I think Simon predicted Lib Dem, though, didn't you? Yeah, we both got that word wrong. So, our second guest, it is time for you to dip your hand into the Pompey Politics podcast's pot of pondering. Shaking sounds. Good shaking sounds. And they are stuck over post-it notes, so don't worry about the fact that they're difficult to open. I think I over-engineered this solution. <laughs> yeah. Right, so it's your question. Do so you want to ask me about that? So, proportional representation, fairer system or handing power to extremists? Good question. It, I guess for me it's about whether it's a priority. I'd probably agree, in principle, that it's a good idea to spread power and representation around a little bit. Um, but whether it would fit in with our current system, which obviously the current system of government seems to be very much structured around first-past-the-post and having big parties of government, I'm not too sure. Obviously, we did have the country had the opportunity to have it, say, a few years ago. Um, and it didn't particularly go very well, but arguably that was a watered-down version, wasn't it, of what it could have been otherwise? Yeah, it was a... Well, it was a pretty... It was a not very brilliant option of how to how to demonstrate it and I don't think it was really really it, referendums they're lovely things aren't we how, aren't they as we've discovered since um but yeah it, it that didn't kind of like work out quite well but and it's an interesting one because uh, I, I've, been, I've been fairly vocal I'm not a fan of PR it, it's uh, you know the current system of government 
I'm not wildly comfortable with uh, my own team being propped up by the DUP. Um, yet it's interesting that so many people who think that that's an absolute disgrace are for PR, where often the balance of power does. You know, if I look in Germany, I, I am not comfortable with the AFD having as much sway as they do. And um, yeah, I think it's a, you know, it does mean everybody gets a, a, a fair say and a chance to, for their vote to count. But um, yeah. And the far right have just got elected in Spain, I think, for the first yeah. time yep. since Franco. Yeah. Well, this is this you, is marvellous unity so far. Even Simon's about to step back from PR. I feel here. Well, no, I, I'm deeply in favour of PR, but personally, I think that um, actually, do you know what? As much as I have concerns about extremism of in any in any in any house, basically, but um, you know, some some of the voices, some of the really really populist and some of the hard right um, voices in in Europe. At the end of the day, if 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 they are representing how people are feeling, do we construct a political system? Have a political system that deliberately doesn't give those people a voice? Yes, or, yes, we do. That's, well, that's, well, what that's we do. Yep. you know, <laughs> that's it, for the best. You, you win the. Surely, the best thing is to do is to try and win the argument. Well, that's my feeling. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. I, it's, it's all good. Have people like Farage on Sunday Mar and have him, you know, being um, castigated for saying different things now to what he said in 2016. That's that's what you do for people like that. Stop it! We're about to go down that B hole, and we're not having it. <laughs> no. Question two. What the the B word? Don't say it. So, if you could guarantee success for one big green initiative for Portsmouth, what would it be? I really like the idea of clean air zones, um, which has been mooted at various points. I think Portsmouth, its kind of physical geography, would be quite well suited to it. The problem is, obviously, it would be highly controversial. Um, they tried to implement one, I understand, in Southampton last year, around then. And so it was going to be mandatory clean air zone. I think it was charging vehicles that go into a certain area, I guess similar to the kind of congestion charge in London. Um, but they very quickly backed away the administration because there was the inevitable backlash from motorists and drivers. I think one of the big barriers in Portsmouth to implementing something big and radical like that, the kind of things that do need to be done, is the fact that we've got elections most years. I think something as kind of bold as that, if it was a all-out election, administration be elected on a four-year term, then they've got time at the start of their term to do the big, potentially controversial stuff, and then have a few years of seeing how it plays out before they've got to go back to the polls. It's a good point. No, it's a good, I think it's a really good point, because the, the challenge you've got, isn't it, is that you know, most people are wedded to their car. It's mm -hmm. as simple as that. You know, I don't drive, but I find public. You know, the current state of public transport. I don't know how anybody works out the bus system in Portsmouth. It's just a. You know, I like to think I'm reasonably clever, but you know, you need the 26A in that stop. I just not a chance. So it's. Uh, you know, I think the, the, the danger is that, that unless you do something serious to stop cars going to certain areas, but it's that, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You know, we've, we've all looked at the state of the high street and commercial road and fewer and fewer people are coming into the town, you know, for retail. It's that if you discourage traffic, does that give you a different problem? Yeah, I think it's particularly relevant to my ward as well, because a lot of the hotspots for air pollution in the city... Uh, 
in my ward or kind of neighbouring mm-hmm. it, particularly the kind of Kingston uh, Road, Fratton mm. Road corridor, and also the bottom of the motorway. I understand yeah, yeah. the two kind of key points. Um, and I know, well, the statistics say that within Charles Dickens' ward, 63% of households own no cars at all. Really? So the vast majority of people don't own a car. And interestingly, it's the one place that one of the yeah. big reasons I was glad to be standing there is that people don't really talk about parking on the doorstep, which goes south here, obviously it's the major thing, but yeah. the majority of people live in Charles Dickens, live in flats with dedicated car parks, so I do, and there's there's always spaces because not everyone's got a car, um, so parking's not an issue. Uh, but yeah, it just seems to me a bit of a kind of uh, injustice that we're subject to the highest levels of pollution when actually very few people, a lot of we're not causing the pollution, part of the course, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But paying the price of it. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting because there was the, the there was the stuff recently, wasn't there, about the government threatening to um, to place basically a clean air zone into Portsmouth and it's going to force us to charge mm-hmm. about £10 to enter, enter the city by car. So on one hand, that's, it, okay, if that would maybe actually deal with some of the congestion, deal with actually some of the pollution, that, you know, but on the flip side of that, well, doesn't that just price, you know, half the half the people that we'd want actually visiting the city actually out, out of being able to come here? So how do you, how do you provide a viable alternative to the people driving? How do you provide cleaner, or to, cleaner methods of driving? So there are, you know, there's some things looking at there, isn't there, about trying to get central funding for, um, for public, you know, to invest more in public transport and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And, more electric charging points getting some of the taxis actually electric so you could you kind of hit it and you know you hit hit the nail on the head in the first kind of sentence how do you do this thing that actually people would be in favor of in favor of you tackling but not actually in favor of this of what the solution would look like mm-hmm. how do you how do you how do you get that idea of that bold as bold ideas enough as that would need to be across to the voters to the point that they would actually vote for it it's, it's a it's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think this taxi point particularly is something that's kind of um, been topical recently because obviously we had declared Portsmouth declared itself to be in a climate emergency at the council meeting. Obviously, Gerald wrote to the relevant secretary of state requesting kind of to Michael Gove. Good luck. Yeah, for yeah. requesting kind of urgent help, mm. and then very soon after there was a licensing meeting where the rules around the age of taxis that are allowed to be in the road have actually been relaxed. So they've, the council's now decided that older taxis than were previously allowed to are allowed to continue driving, which obviously my assumption would be older cars are more likely to be more highly um, polluting. Yeah, it's no, strange, isn't it? Uh, yeah, no, it is. Uh, 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 and again, you know, when you look at the number of taxis that are out there, it is a, you know, it, it, it's considerable. And yeah, by the very nature, the vast majority of them are diesel because if you're doing a lot of miles, that's the cheapest way to do mm-hmm. it. So. It does seem a bit of a, a double-edged message to, to look for it to, and then take a decision only a couple of weeks later to make um you know to allow more high-polluting cars onto the road. Needs some joined-up thinking, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It does. And people to be convinced to change their behaviours. Because mm-hmm. we, we've got a flat city. We've got you know you look at some of the cities in Europe that are really you know you look at places like Amsterdam. Okay, we're not ridden with canals, but you know you've got infrastructure and. You know ways of actually getting about where actually a car is a more inconvenient way to get around places yeah. like that and we're really densely populated we're flat mm. we, you know that's the i think that's the bold stuff yeah that you can ride on a bike pretty much anywhere in Portsmouth within 10 or 15 minutes yeah if you're not killed yes yeah, segregation of cycle lanes that's a really important thing just a paint on a piece of road isn't enough 
Which is the biggest challenge facing Portsmouth in the next 18 months? Okay, so there's an obvious answer, which I'm not going to respond with, the B words, yeah. <laughs> mainly it's just we, boring, don't worry, we'll give it? you a pass on avoiding but, B um, words. So, so my focus and something that I'm going to, well, the main issue that I'm particularly passionate about is housing and homelessness. I think that is a major problem that's affecting, kind of starting to affect all parts of society. So you've got obviously homelessness, everyone's noticed there's more people on the streets sleeping rough. Uh, but the thing I always say is that kind of visible street homelessness is just the tip of the iceberg, yeah. or below which is actually a much more significant number of people, probably at least thousands of households in Portsmouth, that are in temporary accommodation or sofa surfing or mm. having to live with friends and family because they haven't got access to kind of good quality, safe, yeah. affordable housing. Um, so yeah, for me, that is the priority and that's kind of the, one of the main reasons I really wanted to get involved and run for council is to be that voice constantly asking what are we doing to tackle the housing crisis and what are we doing to kind of help people in need. Well, I guess on that, you know, what do you think is the, where, where does the opportunity come for Portsmouth? Because yeah, we're, we're the most densely populated, I think we're the most densely populated city in the UK. We're an island, you know, that let's build some more flats doesn't seem to make the problem any better you know what do you see as the main options that you know the, the council could do realistically to, to help the city development is inevitable um, we're going to see thousands of new homes at Tipner at some point in time mm. probably another couple of thousands as part of the city centre regeneration you've got other sites that are in the pipeline so I think whatever happens there are going to be thousands of new homes delivered in Portsmouth for over the next couple of years for me the key question is what is the tenure mix of those homes is it going to be largely uh, kind of private accommodation that a lot of local people can't afford and priced out of? Or is the council going to play a kind of more interventionist role in perhaps being the developer of part of these sites or kind of teaming up with private developers to ensure that there's decent levels of kind of generally affordable housing for local people? So for me, that is the kind of key thing really, is whether we have a kind of a market-led development or whether we have a de uh, kind of process of development in which the council plays a more interventionist role in. Do you think that's within the council's gift to do? Because I mean, we, we, you know, we've, we've exchanged views online and you know, it's been very hard for me to agree with you, but I have agreed with you when you know, developments see the developer goes and pleads poverty to some ombudsman somewhere that says, oh yeah, you don't have to do the social housing bit, you can just do the luxury apartments and you know, give the council 20 quid and a cheese sandwich and, and we'll wave it through. Yeah, so that is a big issue and I think that is one of the reasons why we shouldn't be reliant on the private sector to just give us a bit of their extra profit as affordable housing and why the council should be playing more of a role. I think for me the big thing I would like to look around the country, what other local authorities are doing, what is the best practice, what are the kind of innovative ways that people are doing things differently. Um, and one of those is these kind of arm's length property companies that councils are setting up. Yeah that then allow them to become a developer but obviously a more kind of socially minded developer and instead of having to provide 20 or 30 percent affordable housing on the site because they're not having to worry about also making 20 percent profit at the same time they can maybe provide 40 or 50 percent social housing on the site and that seems to me a kind of sensible option that we should be exploring and i know it's kind of been mooted in portsmouth and i think the legal entity actually exists is it, already is it raveling so it's being looked at um so anyway, that's one of the roles and obviously another significant thing that's happened recently is that the borrowing cap on the housing revenue account has been lifted so this was a major problem that was preventing local authorities from building more housing stock they weren't able to borrow against their existing stock 
Um, but that the Tories and Westminster have now kind of become aware of that um, and changed that policy, and other local authorities are now using that uh, kind of borrowing headroom. Well done, to build. Exactly. <laughs> Every now and then you do something right. Yeah, yeah no, no, the broken clock's right twice a day, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll take that. Right. Last question. Why did you win? <laughs> so, interesting one. So, in Charles Dickens, um, we won and we did actually quite well, kind of bucking the national trends and arguably a little bit of local trends as well. I think we got the highest Labour vote share since 1999. Um, so, it was a really good effort. I mean, what the key thing for me was that we had a kind of really strong team of volunteers that were all based in the community. So they weren't coming from other parts of the city, kind of being bussed in mm -hmm. um, to come and help. It was people that lived in the wards and were kind of active in their own communities, in their residence associations, mm -hmm. in their community groups, in the various things um, that they're involved in. So that was the kind of thing, a key thing, because we were really rooted then in that local community. So that was one of the major things. I think we were also kind of speaking to people about the kind of bread and butter issues that affect people's lives. Obviously housing, again, is the big thing for me. Housing is a massive issue in Charles Dickens. Homelessness is kind of affecting everyone. Well, it's affecting lots of people. Lots of people know people that are, have experiences of it. And also household overcrowding is a massive thing. Mm. Um, so 70% of households in Charles Dickens are uh, social housing and a large proportion of those are overcrowded in some way so mm. it's not untypical for us to be knocking on people's doors and they've got a family of eight to ten people say living in a two-bed flat have been on the waiting list for years but they're just seen as a low priority because of the, the council's got people that are homeless people that are kind of sick mm. and disabled who are always going to get housed above that family mm -hmm. um so yeah we were kind of really trying to speak to people about those important issues things like universal credit as well um, which is causing a lot of anxiety amongst people mm. about how that's going to affect them and it's not just uh, kind of the unemployed and sick and disabled a large proportion of people in Charles Dickens that are on benefits are in work but are still struggling to get by so yeah the focus really was kind of trying to focus on those key issues that are really having a big impact on people's lives and I think that message seemed to kind of resonate the good folks of Charles Dickens certainly Certainly chose you in a. They certainly swung your way and certainly put their mark in the in the in the box for you. And, and congratulations, it was a, it was a really good solid win. Yeah, no, I, I as I say, I, I, I tipped against you, um, but uh, you but know, thankfully I, you were wrong about no, how you I, called uh, that. And again, good lord, what 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 kind of a a world are we in when a momentum activist makes me happy when they when they <laughs> when they win award? It's uh, it's strange times we live in indeed. But uh, we've got evidence. It's on record. We've recorded yeah, that. We, we yeah, know, yeah no, we've, no, I, I stand by it. I'm always happy. So to, in, to when Cal goes for the re-elect in four years' time, he can put on his literature endorsed by Ian Dynamite. Well, possibly. I'm, I'm not sure that would resonate with with his <laughs> core, core with target his market. Anyway, I think, <laughs> I think probably best to leave that one in the locker. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're getting a lot of. Um, kind of Brexiteers on the doorstep interest. So I did think that UKIP were going to do quite well. I think they got about 20% in the end, yeah. which is obviously a reasonable uh, percentage of the vote. Interestingly, we were getting a lot of people, I think I think it was high 60s percentage of people uh, voted to leave in Giles Dickens. We were getting a lot of Leave voters, even hard Brexiteers, who that was their position on Europe, but they were still going to vote Labour in the local elections. And it, it, that doesn't surprise me, because I, I, I really, I get... UKIP and I get the Brexit party in the European elections I get what they're going to stand for 
but I have no idea why anybody would think that you know a one-party policy being a Portsmouth councillor with a purple badge on you're not going to get us out of Europe any fun. You you can literally contribute nothing to that, you know, to that one policy. You've got to stand on a bit more than that. So, I mean, my hope is that if we can get this all put to bed, then perhaps we will see UKIP. Bollocks to Brexit? Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is let's get it done, son. Let's get it done. <laughs> let's not thwart the will of the people, Simon. Let's go with the will of the people. Back the people. People. Well, let's, let's ask them what they want to happen, eh? We've done, we're, we've done we're, that. We'll, we'll move that one. Stop it, we'll, stop it, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> okay, yeah, so, yeah, so, just pulling out our, our handy, the, the official Pompey Politics podcast spreadsheet. So, yeah, so 39.8% of the vote, um, your nearest competitor is 24.1%. So, really, really mm. strong share. But the, um, the, the purple team, 19.6. One in five. On a low turnout again, Charles Dickens seems to consistently be the better. lowest turnout in the city, unfortunately. Better? Your turnout went up by... Did about, increase, yeah. About, about, about 2% than, than, um, yeah, than last year. But hopefully, even though we want different outcomes, maybe, you know, Ian and I want different outcomes from this Brexit mess, hopefully next year, that won't be on the radar. Yeah. With a bit of luck. I mean, yeah, because that's the key thing that we were trying to speak to people about, is that the whole time Brexit is going on... Things like housing yeah. and benefits and education are just not being dealt with in any way. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it is a massive distraction, and yeah, again, it's that it's that. If I could wave a magic wand and it'd all be sorted Monday, then <laughs> we'd be very happy. Okay, Cal, you've been brilliant. Thank you for joining brilliant. us on the pod. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, so Millsy slightly put out that he's been replaced, but you were far more articulate. <laughs> So, welcome to the third part of our Winners Are Grinners special. Um, we're joined by Millsy, the Labour dogmatic dog is back today, but most importantly, we're joined by Scott Pater-Harris, who romped a victory in the Hillsy Ward. So, Scott, welcome. Oh, thank you very much. I much appreciate it then. Yeah, it was a good result. It was a good result. And first podcast. It's my first time, yeah. Excellent. And it would appear that the Liberal Democrat cats are growling at you in the background. Is this is this a trained thing, Simon, or is it just by accident? Um, I think they're more growling at Millsy, to be fair, rather than oh, Scott. So. It wouldn't be the Lib Dems and Labour rucking in our fair city, would it? But well, we'll, we'll pass on that. So, <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Much appreciated. So we'll, um, what we'll do is we'll get the Pompey Politics pot of pondering. I'm and looking forward to it. <laughs> It's a, quality, high, it's a quality pot. Um, well, anticipation highly, is high. <laughs> the highly technical and highly advanced system that is basically a load of post-it notes in a saucepan. I feel like I'm doing the FA Cup draw here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Number seven, Darlington. I've got number four. So do you want to open that? No, you get to, oh, no, I you get get to, to open it. Yep. So the, the questions are annoyingly folded in on themselves in the, on the post-its. Oh, my goodness. For a man with no nails, this is disgustingly hard. Right. In what way was your campaign the, this year different from your previous ones? Wow, that's quite a good question. Basically, the campaign this year was a lot different because there was a lot of voter apathy. So for us this year, it was a lot about targeting. And we targeted a lot better, but then again, we had a high starting base to come home from. So for me, personally, it was ensuring we got the vote out, which we did. Uh, the vote share wasn't as high as we'd like it to have been, but we know why our voters didn't vote. For example, a lot of them stayed at home, and that's just 
from the people I spoke to, which was the apathy side of it, and the protest votes that we lost out on. And that's interesting because they didn't want to directly hurt us. They, I mean, the percentage of going to UKIP wasn't actually as high as I thought it would be, and it, and it probably wasn't. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to probably go, they wouldn't go towards the Labour Party because they know that would naturally hurt us in the area. So it was, the, I mean, the likes of the Greens, they, they picked up a few, I think the Liberal Democrats picked up a few. Um, you could probably pick up a few, but those three benefited from mainly voter apathy. But when you're knocking the door and you're knocking people up and they're going, I've just voted green, there's five of them in the household. Mm. And they're going, it's not you, we like you, but we know it's not going to hurt you. Okay, I, I can take that on the chin and walk away. And I know those people will come back when the party sorts itself out and sorts the country out. It's interesting, we kicked about the UKIP thing, didn't we? And, it's, uh, yeah. and it, you know, they, they did better, but... Let's hope this is the last year we have to bother with them in terms of our analysis. We'll, we'll, we'll go into something more exciting. Will Brexit be done, dusted or, or killed by next year? Uh, I, just, I haven't got a clue, to be honest. I, I would sort of thought it would be done by now. Uh, but it's such an animal, I think, and I think Theresa May has exhausted the animal now. I think maybe it's time for us to look elsewhere because I think May's... Any bit of good favour she's had, she's finished with now, my, my personal opinion... I've had that opinion for quite a while, and I've been quite openly sharing it on social media. People know that I'm not a fan of Theresa May. No, we were talking just before you arrived, and when your left-wing comedian says, yeah, I don't like anything about her, but can somebody just get her a blanket? You kind of think that, that, that your race is run at that point. Yeah, I, I have a begrudging respect for Theresa May, because the ability to stay there under all that pressure... And the ability to keep going on. Well, she's certainly hung on under impossible circumstances. Oh, yeah. So there's a certain, there's certainly a level of resilience. I can't say I'm a fan of the strategy that she's chosen. I don't, I don't think she's, she's done particularly well when she's painted herself into an ever smaller corner. But the, yeah. big, the, big, the big glaringly obvious thing is that there isn't really anyone waiting in the wings that can swoop in and right. seemingly do a better job. Or, is, or do you feel otherwise? I feel, I feel that there are some contenders. I mean, a lot of people in the grassroots like Dominic Raab. He's really come from the forefront in the recent months and quite a lot on the Conservative home polling through the membership are going towards Dominic Raab. Um, I'm a fan of Johnny Mercer, but I don't think he's leadership material. I think he's, he's destined for something, but probably not there. It's interesting because the grassroots effectively are going to decide who the next Prime Minister of the country is because I, I don't care what anyone says. Jeremy Corbyn, the fear of Jeremy Corbyn will not ensure that well it'll ensure there's not a Labour government and I'm quite unequivocal by that just from knocking on people's doors hardened Labour voters saying to you we will not vote Labour because of Jeremy Corbyn we can't vote for you guys but we're not voting because of him and I think that is the biggest factor that has kept the government alive it's got, it's got to be that isn't it we, we've had the conversation you know we're how rubbish do you have to be to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, in the interest of dynamism, question two, or whichever number comes out of the pot. Number seven, I've got Ooh, number seven. seven. That's like a number. It's, it's, good, it's a good number. It's not one of, your, uh, not one of yours. Yeah. Which counts are currently on the council, but from another party, do you respect most and why? Ooh. That's a good one. Do you know what? There's two, and uh, one... He's not, he's not from another party, and that's Councillor John Ferret, because what he did to leave the Labour Party and be actually at forefront takes a lot of balls. And I respect the courage for what he did and the tenacity in the way he did it. And he was forthright, and he kept his opinions, and he still keeps his opinions now. So he would be one, and the other one would be actually Councillor Leo Madden for the fact that Leo is very well respected, doesn't always follow the party line, 
Leo will say what he thinks and he'll go along with it. He'll break the whip. And you know what? He's run the city before. You know, he's got a lot of respect out there. And Leo's one of those people where you can have a licensing meeting. He'll go to you, Scott, do you want to go for a coffee? Go for a coffee for an hour, sit and have a coffee with Leo. Talk about things. And he's very experienced. He's been around the block. He knows exactly what's going on. But he'll give people the time of day. And, you know, he doesn't have to do that. And that's anyone. That's a conservative. That's a member of the Labour Party. That's an independent. So those two are the ones that I probably have a lot of respect for. Um, and... I quite like Steve Pitt as well. Steve's all right. I, I quite... Yeah, Steve Pitt's annoyingly likeable, isn't he? I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Fundamentally, I should object to him more often than I do, but again, he seems like a he seems like a perfectly decent fellow. Well, I get on with him, and I mean, I can talk to him quite freely, you know, because at the end of the day, Steve's honest as well. He'll yeah. tell you what he thinks. He doesn't hide things. That's his opinion. That's what he believes. He's he's not playing in the shadows, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, those, those three are the top three. But I have to say, probably Ferret and Madden on their own are the two that I respect probably the most. Yeah, well, we, we, yeah, I mean, the Labour ahead with Liberals a distant third. I mean, well, it's not something we'd like, but, you know, we'll, we'll go with that. To clarify for listeners, um, I wasn't, I didn't have Ian's um, arm behind his back at all. Not that, to be fair, not that I think I could manage that. No, but... that might, might take a little bit of doing, so. Question no. three, sir. Just being honest, number 13, or lucky for some. Ooh. But this is a horrible question. Uh, might be one of mine. Let's fucking get it. It was a horribly folded question, at least. The compulsory voting system in Australia. Good idea. Two minds about this. I'm going to look at it from a point of view. It could be a great idea because everyone then has to have their say. But then some people don't want their say. Some people want to have the ability to say, get on with it. You know, so... For a turnout point of view, people want to see massive turnouts and they want to actually have a definitive answer. But then also some people have that right not to vote. You know, that is also a right that is given. Just because you have the right to vote doesn't yep. mean you have to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? I, think, I think in the Australian system you can say, I don't want any of them and tick that box. Yeah, but I mean, I'm of the opinion, if you don't want to go to the ballot box, you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's a purely, um, and that's quite a different point of view that I think some in my party might have. I think... Some would rather you went out and voted, but to be honest, it's a personal choice. If you, if there's nothing on the table that interests you in politics and you're quite happy living your life without interference from the political system, I mean, good luck to you. I mean, that that's fundamentally what people want to do. So I think people should have the freedom to choose whether they want to go and vote or not. And that really bears down to why I'm conservative, because I believe in the freedoms of people. You know? So it's a big part of the party is freedoms. They, they provide burgers. Uh, sausages, or sausages. It is, it's fundamental. Oh well, you didn't say that. Basically, they have a they have a Barbie, and you basically go to the bar, Barbie and then. Well, that, that is very Australian. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, it's fundamentally why I'm in favour of it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a sausage, not a free beer. Uh, no, but you take your own. Well, to be fair. We're not going to go down then, the road of Australian beer. Nobody would want that, would they? No, oh, no, it's mm. terrible stuff. Make, but then, in all right, fairness, you yeah. say about the Australian system. You know, this is a country that have had what, how many prime ministers in the last eight years? Yeah, it's not doing. It's not seeing them well, is it? It's that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just out of interest on that system, do they get fined if they don't vote? Yeah, that's what is the fine? Because I don't think it's actually that much. It's not like a horrendous amount. It's, yeah. it's you know because you know if we if we implement that here, you know a lot of people do it, just pay it, wouldn't they? But it's a form of taxation or something, and a lot of people just fundamentally pay the fine. Yeah, if it's not, you know, if it's not too draconian. But yeah, no, I'm 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 in favour of them. Um, I I like the Australian system. I think it's it it obviously 
is quite in, important for them, but fundamentally, I think people should have the right to decide whether they want to go and vote or not. I mean, I, I think it's a big thing about being free. Mm. So you like the idea of greater voter engagement, but you'd rather people had the freedom to choose yeah, to do yeah. it? Yeah, I, I, think, I think we should have more voter engagement, but then I think that's down to us and yeah. the political class at the moment, that people don't want to go out and vote because mm. people are sick of voting. Yeah, it, it might be that, or the, you know, for whatever reason, if it's that either they're completely disengaged or don't know. What I've found, to be honest, after you know, starting to get involved last year yeah. and, and standing this year was how much people don't understand even how the council system works um, and trying to explain we, we'll do, we, we're going to do a, um, another podcast um, talking about the European yeah. elections. So trying all those sorts of different kind of things about it's, it's interesting where the level of voter understanding is as, as alongside actually the, just the apathy or the frustration of look it's a complete mess there's no point in me doing anything kind of thing that you know mm-hmm. that, that you, you know might have seen so it's it would be nice to see actually all of the parties working together maybe to actually register more voters and to drive up voter engagement yeah, i think, I think it's, a, it's a good point and what i would like to see personally in the city is four yearly elections i think that would actually give the parties in the city an actual mandate because every we're doing every other like, literally three years on three, year, three years out of four isn't yeah it? three years out of four and it, it all it does is create instability you know, and that is not good for local government. You know? That's the second time we've heard that. You know, we yeah. need stability in local government. I mean, you had four years of a Conservative administration, and bar 300 votes across three wards uh, back in 2018, you probably would have had a Conservative majority, and we probably would have held that majority going into this year. So if you look at it from that point of view, um, where we are right now probably wouldn't have happened. I mean, you, you're only looking at, I think it was St. Jude was lost by 115, Baffins was by 140, and St Thomas in 2008 was 105. So when you look at it like that, you've got, what, 75 swinging one, a 50 swinging one, and then another 75 swinging another. You're not, you're not many votes away yeah, from actually being yeah. in a majority. Yeah, some, some of the wards are really quite tight. Uh, they're really, I mean, um, you know, St Thomas in 2015, for example, was a, was a three-way, you know... The, yeah, the, genuine the, three-way marginal. It was, was really, really interesting. But, um, so the interesting question about you know, you raise about um, whether to be elected in thirds like like we are, so that basically there are elections three out of four years. Um, whether that, whether ha- actually only having them every four years, would would that risk driving voter disengagement because they're not able to actually continually renew that mandate? They've got basically four years to do it. I think I think um, the mandate is you've got your four years to do you do the job. If you don't, you're not happy in four years. Same as government. Generally, the only time a government collapses or a government wants to have another election to get more seats mm. generally it works out yeah, it didn't work out it didn't so really did work out last time no. yeah. and that was a poor <laughs> judgement I was going to say that was a poor judgement to leave Simon an open goal to smash well, no, I'm, I'm just being honest yeah, with you. I mean I wouldn't have called an election put all the money on red and it <laughs> I mean 2017 I wouldn't have called an election because you had a, 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 a sound majority and you had a Labour Party that was sinking, so why don't you allow it to sink? Especially with what's going on now. Yep. You know, the sound majority you have, well, why would you, why would you effectively gamble, which is what you did? You know, and to be honest as well, I think that, that a lot of that comes down to the, how we campaigned in our election and our manifesto. Oh, don't, I don't, don't think it I was... St- um, I still wake up screaming when I think of that manifesto. I was awful. I genuinely believe that John MacDonald wrote at least half of it. Um, it was just... I did, they were announcing it. I was just like, "That's not happening. This this can't be for real." Yeah, I, mean, I I I read the twenty fifteen and twenty seventeen manifesto next to each other, and you you wouldn't think it was from the same political party. And in all seriousness, um, the fifteen manifesto was very hopeful, 
you know, very passionate about what we're going to do for the country. In the 17 manifesto, it was just, oh, I can't even put it into words without getting into trouble, to be honest. <laughs> Dip your hand in the pot of pondering yeah. and grab your fourth question. We wouldn't want a man to get into trouble. 14. That was another one of Ian's. Yeah. I fucking, tell you what, I need nails. Here we go. We're open. Is that because the podcast is a nail-biting experience? Oh, ba-boom. Oh, if you could guarantee success for one big green initiative for Portsmouth, what would it be? Success for one big green initiative. That's a really good point. I think the biggest success we would need right now is driving up our recycling rates. So the bin rollout is key. That would be the biggest success. Because at the moment, the city is in not a good place for recycling rates. I think that you're obviously quite aware of Simon, and if you're aware of it as well, Ian. Yep. We're not in a good place. So to get obviously recycling more would be the biggest thing we could obviously do at the moment because that's something that everyone can contribute. There's no excuse there. I mean, every man, woman, child, dog or cat can actually get involved with recycling. And it's something that I know that uh, we worked hard on when we were the administration. And Councillor Rob New did, did a lot of good work there. And I know Councillor Dave Ashmore has taken that on. And they're very. I know. I can't. I can't knock the current administration because they're very serious about it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But I think driving up the recycling rates is key at the moment. But also, we need to be a bit more innovative in ourselves. Yeah. As well, I think. Um, I personally, I very rarely buy fruit and veg from the supermarket anymore because of the plastic packaging on a lot of it. I buy mine from an organic farmer. I base that in Fareham. That gets delivered into me. Oh, my um, John, is it? Um, it's a company called uh, Riverford Food. Ah. Um, cheap plug there, so they've got some advertising. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to plug Box Fresh with two yeah. X's as well. So you know. I, I have to admit though that they, 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 everything comes in a brown box. Yep. You know, it, paper bag, paper bag, brown box. Yep. But it's all cultivated locally, and it's all fresh, fresh vegetables, and they even have organic meat as well. So, and it, actually, to be fair, it's actually helping us living a healthier lifestyle, because um, I have to admit being. In politics, it's not the healthiest place to be at times for your eating and your drinking. So, for me as well, that, that's a big thing. So we can all contribute in our own our own special way. I mean, so I think recycling is the biggest thing, though. I mean, we've got a recycling bin at home that me and the wife have actually spoken about and said we need to change the recycling bin because it's too small. We're yeah. recycling much more than we need to, and she's like, okay, so we've changed the recycling bin. Um, it's interesting because we're in we're in the caution mode at the moment. We were one of the first to get the. Well, Recycling. We were the test ones, weren't we? Yeah, and, and when it arrived, Don't. I've got to confess, I was I was furious. Family of four, I've got two children who are fundamentally monsters and beat us up, house at home. Um, no, trust me, the 15-year-old's bigger than me, and those that have met me know I'm not insubstantial. Um, he's six foot six. So big lad. Big lad. Um, so when it first turned out, I was proper cross. You know, how am I supposed to get the week's rubbish into this tiny little bin, and I've got a recycling bin? Well, we're at the point now where you know, it's Friday, it's bin day tomorrow, and I've just dropped the one bag into the, the in comfortably into the into the bin, and the secondary we've now got two recycling bins, and the second one's half full. So I think it is that, you know, a little bit, kind of it does force you to change your behaviours. Yeah, that is it. It's hundred percent about behaviours. Ian, you're so right about that. It's about changing people's habits because habit is something that we can just literally create. Because at the moment. People obviously are used to doing just banging it up, putting it in the yeah. bin. Now these people are actually thinking about what they can put in the bin and what they can put in recycling. And that's the fundamentally the challenge that we're having, is to literally just change the way people are thinking about our planet effectively. Because, uh, you know, it, we would be fools to ignore what is going on around the world at the moment. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I don't agree with what the Extinction Rebellion guys were doing because fundamentally they were causing a lot of people to stay off work and causing mass disruption, which I don't think ever really, really solved anything. You know, we just need to do this from the top down. And I think in Portsmouth, we are taking a real serious push with this at the moment. Yeah, and I think this is a good thing. Yeah, I think I, I think you're right. It's good to see that people are behind that and actually there's a desire cross-party to actually to actually do mm-hmm. do something with that. So, the, you know, there's further developments of the of the bin roll. That will be the um, the food waste. Yeah, so, because that causes contamination with the existing stuff, doesn't it? And yeah, absolutely. But the food waste one's interesting because yeah. Co-op have just brought out new carrier bags that you can use be used for food waste. I picked one up in Brighton last week. Oh, they're, yeah, they're actually for food waste bags. So that actually their carrier bags actually be yeah. reused for food waste. It's really quite a good idea. So obviously they can't actually have a a carry bag that would be fully recyclable but they can actually in, in, be innovative to do yeah, that yeah. so it's a real different way of looking yeah uh, it's, it's good to see some of um some of those solutions appearing now and um some of those things but um yeah yeah it's uh, it's interesting i think you know i think a lot of the super, supermarkets haven't got where they are by not being savvy and when they see the way that the tide's running you know they'll be looking to to run with it and get ahead yeah. of the game so i think the biggest there uh, change in the consumer world would probably be mcdonald's i think mcdonald's going into paper straws has been a real big shift on the landscape when you've got a global giant mm. like mcdonald's that that that, that really sends a message uh, and again if you're old enough to remember you used to get your burger in a polystyrene carton and yeah, uh, with your plastic cup and your plastic straw so it's um... well everything's fundamentally paper isn't it with them yeah. if you look if you actually look across their range it's fundamentally a lot of it's paper i think the only thing that is still plastic is the and plastic that goes on the, on top of the cup for your drink, but other than and that, the burgers. So, wow, and the burgers, <laughs> and yeah. The cheese, yeah. Cheese the so the market's kind of moving. It's a bit kind of consumer-led, yeah. but maybe like what, like how we approach the situation with CFCs in the eighties. It kind of needs some legislation in order to drive further investment, or do you do you think that it should be all market-led? Or where do you sit on that? <laughs> Sorry, it's a supplementary question. You're you're asking you're asking someone who believes in a free market where it should be market led. The state does have some responsibility to ensure mm. that the market does play a certain role. I mean, even Margaret Thatcher wasn't an absolute free marketeer. No. You know, so um, I'm speaking about one of my political idols there, actually, so to speak. So she wasn't a free marketer. She believed that that the state did have a role to play, but the state is effectively, you know, not the master. It, you know, it's it's the servant. It's a light touch. Scott, you've been brilliant. Thank, Thank you ever you. so much. So, that's the third guest on the Winners of Grinners podcast. You've heard from all three major parties, three delighted folk, and all have been surprisingly lovely, Simon, haven't they? I, I know. It's a, it's a nice thing to see, because at the end of the day, our local politics, as much as you know, we, we'll all probably suffer from and experience point scoring and, and the odd kind of things that maybe goes goes a bit over the line, it's nice to actually see that we're speaking to people that are committed about their own communities um, and wanting to actually make a difference. They're not in, you know, we're not talking about people that are in this for selfish means. We're talking about we want Portsmouth to be a better place. And it's interesting how much it's contrasted with the world of social media where, you know, some people get very angry on Facebook and sometimes that's my fault. But no, it's not. When you say sometimes. Not always, not always. You can't point the finger at me. So this has been the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. And I've been Simon Sansbury. And I'm still Ian Tiny Morris. Look out for the next episode. It'll be all about Europe. Promise not to mention Brexit. How can we avoid it if we're talking about Europe?
going to break that promise, but, you know. Yeah, we won't be the first people to do that. 